They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. That's all right. That's all right. Make sure to follow me on social media at the Juan on Juan podcast, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, wherever the reptilians are. And today we have Paranoid American with us. What's hey, up, hey. bro? Hey, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on, man. I thought like I was telling you, I thought you were new to podcasting, but you've been on some pretty, pretty good shows that I listen to and stuff. And I hadn't realized, you know, we connected on Instagram and i said hey fuck it why not let's just do an episode can you plug your stuff before we start i like to plug people's stuff at the beginning that way we yeah, yeah, people tune out so because i know you got some really good uh material on your website and you do some pretty cool stuff so let the listeners know where i'll, they can I'll try out. to limit it to just the highlights because otherwise i'll take up the whole podcast just <laughs> no, listing up the projects that i'm working on uh so yeah my my um my company is called Paranoid American i've been self-publishing comics and games and music since about 2012. Uh, I was trying to get the company started before the world ended, and here we are, you know, another 10 years later, we're still going strong. Uh, but the my main flagship books that I think a lot of people like, um, one's called Time Samplers, and it's about musicians that were sort of raised in Project Monarch and MK Ultra, and now they're using time travel and analog synthesis to uh, solve mysteries and going back to 1913, formation of the Federal Reserve, um, checking out the sinking of the Titanic, going and meeting Nikola Tesla, um, Aleister Crowley, just all kinds of cool bouncing around in a very scattered way. And then I've got a little bit more of a serious book called uh, Paranoid American History 101. And this is an anthology of stories that covers things like the Iran-Contra scandal, the skull and bones digging up the uh, body of Geronimo and putting it into the tomb at Yale. Uh, just, you know, all sorts of different, a, more, a little bit more serious topics. And then uh, just as like an out there one, I also have a, a legit children's book that's registered at the Library of Congress and it's got, you know, a serial number and ISBN and everything. And it's called Connect the Dots, The Confounding Conspiracy of Chemtrails. And it basically like the, the original premise was, you know, some people just refuse to believe some things that are, you know, factually easy to prove. So originally it was kind of supposed to be this tongue in cheek satire of like, all right, if you're not gonna believe me, Let's let me talk to you like you're an elementary schooler and walk you through it. And then at some part in that process, it just turned into like a legitimate children's book series that I'm I'm trying to see through to the end as like, you know, like a fully fledged children's book with a full everything. So that means I've got like, you know, 20 or 20 or 25 different separate projects that are kind of in the works. And I think about 10 that are available on Amazon. So again, long winded intro and plug, but you know, Paranoid American and check out on Amazon for a lot of new releases that I've just been releasing this month. Yeah. And I'll post your links into this, in the episode notes. 
but I think that's fucking awesome, dude. And you touch on a, on a point there that, that a lot, like you said, a lot of people, they'll even refuse to believe history. It's history. You know what I mean? Like all this MK ultra shit, it's not conspiracy. It's conspiracy fact where the, the government has done shady shit and they still continue to do shady shit. But when you tell people this, there's been these psyops of, of discrediting, right? These movements like with, I think a lot of the QAnon stuff is bullshit. I don't think Donald Trump is our Messiah. Maybe here in Florida, right? Because uh, Paranoid American is a native Floridian as well. So yeah, we, we got to talk about just some Florida <laughs> banter in general. So, dude, I went to celebration on on Sunday for the little snow bullshit and all this stuff. And there was nobody wearing a mask. There was nobody wearing a mask. And did you talk to the manager immediately? Absolutely, I did, bro. So... <laughs> And it just comes to show you that there are some people living in alternate realities at the moment. You have this reality that I believe in the law of attraction. And I believe that, you know, we, we the, the world that we speak about and think about that we, we can manifest and live in it. And the media is doing just that. They're painting this world where it's doom and gloom, right? The world was ending in 2012. I'm sure it was ending in the year 2000. I'm sure it was ending in the 70s. I'm sure it was ending in the 50s and 40s when, when all this shit was going down. But you clearly see it, bro. And one of the things that bothers me is I go on Reddit a lot and there's some fucking weirdos on there that I've had. On oh, the don't, don't do that, man. That'll ruin your day. <laughs> I've had some weirdos that have I've had on the podcast. I'm not going to say who, but I've also touched base with people who I, I usually do a like a pre podcast call just to screen people, get a feel for them and just, you know, get get because. I've you had didn't do that, that here. I could have showed up and, and gone all kinds of crazy. <laughs> you could have been you know? like some fucking neo-Nazi or some shit. I would have had <laughs> yeah. you on the podcast. But I knew, right? I was like, this guy, whatever. If he's a fucking weirdo, then it is what it is. But I've had, dude, I've had some some experiences. I'm just going to say that. And one of the things. <laughs> when about, you open that door, you never know who's going to walk through, <laughs> yeah. right? One of the things that that really gets me on Reddit, right, for example, is. You have the Herman Cain Awards, right? Where it makes fun of people oh, right. who die from yeah. COVID. And then they start another one of people who have died from the vaccine, but that gets taken down. And it's always they're pushing this narrative where it's like, okay, so it's obviously one-sided and whatever. But people, some like in one in one of your books is the sheeple, right? Where they they blindly follow the whatever they're told. It's like this 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 embryonic like relationship with totalitarianism where they have to depend on the government to tell them what to do when to do it how the fuck I mean, it's to do pretty it, you know? simple to explain it's just very very convenient you know like it's inconvenient to resist and it's convenient to submit and it's almost like energy or the flow of water or anything you know things will travel in the path of least resistance so that's just sort of the general rule of thumb in, I would say in almost any field of study, whether you're studying humans or studying, you know, flow of water, energy, it's just kind of that same principle. So when you set up barriers to resist or barriers to kind of do your own individual thing and everything else is there to cater and, and almost influence you and reward you for playing along, then it's, you know, it's obvious what the outcome is going to be. And when has it ever in history been that the good guys were pushing shit on everybody else? It's never been that way. It's always been the bad guys pushing shit on people. Like, well, I mean, you you can make an argument though that um, whoever's in power sees themselves as the good guys <laughs> pushing the good stuff, and all the people that are resisting are the bad guys. You know, it's it's a hundred percent a matter of perspective. And in some, I mean, some cases cut and dry. There's obviously you know, an imbalance, you know, like, like Nazi Germany or something. There, yeah. There's some really good examples where there's an obvious imbalance, but there's a lot of other situations where it just depends on what side of the line, you know, if you're staring into the sun or if the sun's at your back. Yeah. And like you said, the Nazis, I'm sure that they thought they were doing something good at the beginning, or do you think it was maybe like the Knights Templar where they started good and then some bad apple spoils the rest and then they just turn sinister? Cause I mean, we're jumping right into the into a we're jumping into Nazi. this shit, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I I think that the the Nazi party served as this vehicle that could um, facilitate so many different people's agendas. Uh, like you've got people that wanted political power. You've got people that wanted to impose, you know, a complete social genocide. You had other people that wanted to use the vast resources to 
you know, march into the mountains of Tibet and get all sorts of occult knowledge and, um, you know, rumor, um, perhaps go to Antarctica and dig some underground bases and stuff. So, I mean, it was just this thing that was like, hey, man, if, if this thing's rolling through, I mean, we can either get on board and use it for our advantage or it can roll over us. And you can you can extrapolate that to the U.S. too. I mean, when World War II ended, the U.S. essentially got to, you know, inherit all the spoils of war. We got to inherit all the crazy research that was completely inhumane. And we started to get to wipe our hands clean of it. But that was also sort of provided to be the entire boom of, you know, technological and sort of economic progress in the states right after that. I mean, we we directly as a country profited off of all of the the horrible injustices of the, of the Nazis. So I would I think it's all kind of related. It's, you know, yeah, technically we fought them, but we also funded them and we also used that machine to sort of, you know, enact a whole lot of things. What's the the old quote, never let a good tragedy go to waste. So who said that George Bush? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't George Bush. It might have been Colin Powell. Although I've, I'm just throwing names out. I'm, I might be wrong on that. Yeah, and and a lot of what well, again history. A lot of American companies helped the Nazis with their with their vehicles. And what was it IBM was one of the very, really big ones that also contributed to. Is IBM even American? I'm probably talking about my my ass. Well, they they were some of the rumors. I haven't gone into the deep research, but the main. Uh, theory is that they were kind of contracted to develop this the entire serial system and how to you know n- um, assign numerical numbers to every single person and kind of track them as an inventory system so yikes dude and that's when it gets that whole ideology of the nazis because i love world war ii history that whole ideology like you said with project paperclip got like transferred over to the american government like you said they just kind of like it's like the CIA when they look into something that is obviously woo-woo, but they're still acknowledging it. So it's like, why are you even giving it attention if it's bullshit? You know what I mean? Like if it's if it's bullshit, why are you even talking about it? And all these secret projects uh, of all these things that the CIA has talked about that we know about and that we probably don't know about, right? That There, there, there was this guy on Joe Rogan recently that was talking about how they were looking into this book that some guy wrote about how the world has this cycle of cataclysms every so often in the earth's core and it was like it had to do with like adam and eve and all this bullshit and it's like wait a minute the cia through the freedom of information act because you have to request all this information put out right a sanitized copy of all the documents because a lot of the stuff was redacted but they were discussing, they had, the book isn't hidden. The book is, some guy just published it. But their discussion of that book was top secret. And the, and the CIA and, and, and the, all of them were talking about it. It's like, if it's bullshit, why are you acknowledging it? What do you guys have to get from? I'm, I'm totally unfamiliar with the, the exact book that you're talking about. But I, I've got, I already have some theories on why they would hide that. One is... It might have had some kind of information that everyone else just didn't notice. And another one is it could have almost been like um, an Operation Mockingbird sort of, you know, coded message that it was intended for only operatives to read or some kind of other encoded message that once someone high enough in the CIA said, whoa, you know, we don't want anyone else to get a hold of this and redact it. Again, I'm just I'm just spitballing because that's what I do. (laughs) So it's almost like the whole idea of the Rosicrucians being behind the whole King James version of the Bible where they put hidden symbols in it. And I've always said that all these guys from history who have been attributed to the arts, you know, you have Isaac Newton, you have all these guys that are Shakespeare. Got to, got to include him. Shakespeare, all these people, they were all part of secret societies. They were part of these occult practices. And the reason that they were part of these occult groups was because they it's always about some bullshit where they think they can achieve some higher divinity and they have to do these rituals to talk to god knows what entities to be able to show them right like some baphomet type shit how many probably how many baphomets have we had all throughout history that we don't know about that these guys were in contact with and they're the guys that we attribute the the craziest things in history to you know what i mean like like Isaac Newton. Yeah, there's another mundane uh, explanation to this too, though. Um, 
and I, I this this bursts a little bit of a bubble, but I, I actually think it's a little bit more fascinating. But if you think about it, back way back when when we're talking about you know ancient artists and ones that kind of shaped society with their art and writings, there weren't necessarily like book clubs and online chat groups that they could just go and freely join to meet like-minded individuals. So a whole lot of this stuff, I mean, the old you know secret societies and the Freemasonry of the 19th century and 18th century, a lot of that's kind of been obsolete because now we've got uh, chambers of commerce and you know CEO boards and you've got you know like investment groups that get together for social events and stuff so the Bilderbergs the, and all this shit yeah and the Bilderbergs and, and you've also got private zoom calls and you know cell phones and stuff so a lot of the reason why these secret societies uh, originally existed yeah there's obviously this this whole element of promising people this arcane knowledge that they're only going to get if they go through these degrees and you know give over resources and things like that but there was also an even bigger or at least equal um dynamic here of i want to become known within other leaders in my community i want to know the other business leaders if if i owned a tavern i might want to know all the other you know local tavern owners and business owners and stuff um so i mean that that was another large part of it. It wasn't like there was an option for the, the non-occult <laughs> society that talked about things that the government was against, you know? So they, you kind of had to do it in secret. So again, either, either a society would form around this group of like-minded individuals and they might just go and open a lodge and call themselves, you know, a Freemason lodge, but really they were, they were almost centralized on talking about certain topics or again, kind of like the Nazis, you, you look at, freemasonry or any other secret society as a vehicle it's like hey here's this this thing that's already kind of um self-governing they've already got their own secrets their own methods they all meet on tuesdays you know they've all got like a schedule so you can just kind of adapt that and what do you think it is do you do you believe in this whole metaphysical bullshit of of Right, like the the whole Aleister Crowley. You know, I have this this stigma against Aleister Crowley, and the the thing that bothers me about him is 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 the kid stuff. You know what I mean? Like the the whole sexual kid stuff. What what are your thoughts on on these guys actually achieving power? I I really have a complete dislike towards Aleister Crowley as a as a human being. Um, and honestly, like yeah, the, the kid stuff is sick. But I think my my favorite example of how he's an absolute asshole is how he would convince people to go on these like huge mountain hikes with them into, you know, very, very dangerous for like expert level climbers only. And he would go and get sort of like, you know, eight or 10 people interested and be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go on this climb. You want to go and hit the summit and whatever. And on the way up, you know, people would obviously just not know how to climb mountains because they'd never done it before. They didn't know how to acclimate to the climate change and the, the thinning of the air. And he would just continue on without them and people would just literally die what? because he was yeah dude if, if you haven't heard this this is probably one of my favorite sort of stories on how he was an absolute asshole to you know even his friends or people that came well, in I know contact he was, with him he was a cuck and he was cucking he, people that i know he was an agent of chaos in just any single you know aspect of his life i think what the fuck i never heard of that i have a uh, tom i had to do this other podcast strange one he's hardcore into i call him Al alistair cuckley and he <laughs> he never told me that shit. I didn't, he was like what probably sacrificing people to So so he has this like legendary lore about Alistair Crowley as the guy that summoned the alien lamb and wrote the book of yeah. law and essentially um converted the the um sort of the co-masonry idea of um Memphis and Misrium and that turned into the OTO and then he also sort of took command of the Golden Dawn and um, so he he had his fingers in so many of these different pies. I I think he was like, like the Nikola Tesla of you know a cult of the time. Like he he was just on some completely different level, and for good or bad, he connect he like just connected with it. He understood it inherently. The whole idea of of chaos magic, the same way Nikola Tesla just understood how energy works somehow. And to this day, we're still trying to figure it out. But going back to your question, do I believe in sort of the whole? metaphysical hocus pocus and uh, the way that i interpret that is did alistair crowley actually talk to an alien uh did the alien actually communicate some sort of secret knowledge to him uh, no <laughs> i mean if you're asking me uh, yes or no i i don't necessarily think so but i 100 percent think that 
the the concept of chaos magic and sort of putting energy into motion and intent i think it's really usually about intent i mean that that can have an impact That's but the i don't whole think chaos it magic thing, right it's like it doesn't love. work in a vacuum though it, it relies on a, a system of energy so that system could be society or could be you know um the small click at work or the lunchroom table but once you can you can sort of identify a system of energy absolutely you can introduce chaos in that system and essentially what they would consider magic is just putting your intent and i mean i don't know if i would call it magic but i i think it's the same thing that he wrote about and what a lot of people talk about when they when you talk about chaos magic and now that i think of it lamb kind of looks like i have that that poster of alex gray i forgot the name oh of yeah it, <laughs> it kind of looks like that maybe he was tripping his fucking balls off on peyote or something and he saw that because that's another thing, right? They would use psychedelics. They would use ecstasy. And, the, and then with the whole thing with Jack Parsons, right? Where he would supposedly they would fuck each other's wives and do all these orgies and stuff with, with sex magic as well. Yep. So yeah, so absolutely. chaos magic, you said it works in like a closed loop system and you use that to manifest whatever that system is. So it's not like you can manifest. It's not like you can personally I don't, I don't believe you can just be sitting in an empty room and not interact with anybody else in your community or life and just recite chaos magic rituals and have some kind of impact on the outside world i i personally don't think that anyone's ever been able to harness that sort of of you know personal willpower just through intent alone but if once you actually take someone that believes in chaos magic and you know rich like a, a good example too, or there's all kinds of powerful lead leaders that would describe how they would wake up in the morning and sort of draw this mental box around themselves. And, you know, they're, they're hyping themselves up and envisioning what's going to happen that day and working towards that. I mean, at the end of the day, that's just really good planning and having and very meditation. Concise. Yeah. It's meditation. It's, it's just intent and focus. So people that, that tend to believe in, magic and chaos magic and intent and focusing their intent I mean, they're obviously might have a leg up on people that are just kind of winging it and playing it day by day so i mean that's that's my mundane uh ex experience of it so I, i'm not a hundred percent materialist person like i don't i don't think that everything's just communicated in terms of atoms and and either you know the energy's moving or it's not in life and death i think there might be some extra part to it but i I don't know if Alistair Crowley or the Golden Dawn or the Rosicrucians even uh, necessarily had some magic information. In, in fact, I really, really believe that the, the key secret of every secret society back through the Cult of Mithra and perhaps before, it was just always the ability to have a really good sales pitch and, you know, convince people that you had this crazy knowledge and you can levitate and I can <laughs> generate riches and things like that. And if, if you know how to do that, you you've unlocked, you know, one of the secrets of the universe in my mind. Yeah, it's it's that's like almost like a nihilistic point of view. Like we are just I I well me for one, like I said, I believe in the law of attraction. And the reason that the reason being because you know, the whole observer effect. If you if you look at just quantum physics, just anything that has to do with quantum physics is fucking unexplainable you know what i mean like so that's why i feel that there is maybe more to what meets the eye because like i said the observer effect when you look at an atom it acts differently when you're not fucking looking at it and if you're ever able to figure that out you get a fucking nobel peace prize and it's yeah, you're talking about the concept of like collapsing functions essentially uh, well, well like like because like like the double slit experiment is yeah. the one that everyone always goes to so that if you're not looking at it it goes through both slits and if you are looking at it it goes through one or the other but another way of, of looking at that is you being the observer um it's like it's it's like it's really abstract but if you have like a mathematical function you know like you know x2 plus y2 equals uh z2 um if you were to just know that that function existed and you knew what the input and output were like you understand that it could be one or the other and there's yeah. kind of like as you calculate that function the 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 actual product kind of goes through changes until you get to the final result so there in my mind there might be some aspect of that where like we're a human and you're observing it so like your existence forces it to only be one thing or the other like we we're a very you know we're based in duality our our bodies are basically constructed out of symmetry we're just 
you know, duality is inherent in our biological nature. So there might be some aspect where just our brains and our senses aren't capable yeah. of, you know, knowing about that third option or that yeah. like influx state. So I don't, I always tend to think that all that, like the double slit experiment and the quantum physics that might just be based on human perception and it's, it might be missing, you know, the forest for the trees in a way. Yeah. And, and you touched on something that like Pythagoras, the, the Pythagoreans, they thought that everything was numbers, right? That we didn't create mathematics. We just discovered it. And it's the language of the universe, if you will. Right. Where. Yeah. The music of the spheres and more specifically, it was about ratios more so than math. I think it was, it was just being in balance and being in harmony and uh, knowing about intervals on how to go from one step to the next. And that's how our whole concept of tones and semitones came out in music. Um, but and I would just throw out just as a as a kind of like a nerd fact here, the I think the main responsibility for viewing the entire universe as numbers I think was Galileo, where he oh, really? kind of proposed that you know everything could be broken down into quality um, or sorry into quantity as opposed to quality. So that's yeah, it's, that's it's one of my favorite topics actually. Quantitative and qualitative, like the whole thing with like you talked about like the the dissimilarities and things. That's the duad. Then you have the monad, and you have the the triad and all these things and Galileo was the one where he was ruled a heretic for believing that the the earth revolved around the sun right for the longest time Correct, and yeah. the fucking church among, came among a lot of other crazy ideas that he had yeah what other <laughs> ideas did he have I'm not familiar <laughs> what else did he believe that was I know Edmund Haley talked well, about I mean, essentially any any scientific principle back then that went against the the church. general consensus of you know the interpretation of the bible was deemed heresy so take your pick at any modern scientific uh principle i mean you could just you could throw a dart at a science book and that would have been something that galileo was you know <laughs> sort of pointed out for so, but, but this it, it just brings me back to that that quote i think it was in game of thrones where it's like when you cut a man's tongue out you're not fearing you know which one i'm talking about right it's like you're fearing not what he has to say because it's true or something let me look it up god damn <laughs> And I wanted to point out too, because you were mentioning the whole duality and um, this this will to kind of cut to the chase of a really deep and complex conversation. But I I kind of believe in um in some sorts of like if you take Occam's razor, which is like the ultimate shortcut, where you say the most simple explanation is uh, is typically the truth. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I don't think that this, that. Um, easily describes so much phenomena it's just the most convenient one because if you take that to its most extreme then why is there something at all rather than nothing at all you know why why doesn't just you know complete negative space exist for for infinity why why is there even a single atom out there and why is there uh, entropy at all so just the fact that entropy and matter and anything exists at all that it throws my mind for a whole loop it's, it's a very like a uh, Upanishad sort of derived way of thinking. Have you ever heard of Hitchens razor? I've heard of a bunch of razors. You have to remind me of that one in particular. It's like if you bring up an idea without any proof, I can disprove it without any proof. <laughs> I like that. I like that rule. <laughs> I learned that the other day. I had my buddy Jeffrey Davis on the podcast, and we were talking about religion and bullshit. And he brought it up. He's a like, Hitchens razor. I was like, is, I was like, did you mean Occam's razor? He's like, no, no, Hitchens. And then he, he explained it, and I was like, holy shit, I learned something new today. The quote that I was talking about was uh, by George R. R. Martin. He's probably a lizard. When you tear out a man's <laughs> tongue, you are not proving him a liar. You are only telling the world that you fear what he might say. Why do you think it is that they discredit people? And obviously you you publish things and I, I wanted to ask you how you got into that. But why do you think that they do silence conspiracy theorists? Or uh, it's the easiest way. I mean, ca- character assassination is so much easier than physical assassination, especially today. It might have been different, you like know, a few hundred years ago. Yeah, I mean, but if you think like 200 years ago, if you could just pull a dude into an alley and stab him and walk away and there was no forensics and no cameras or anything. And I mean, it might have just been easier to go that route. Very, you know, Shakespearean sort of, um, you know, way of taking someone out. But now why not just, you know, de- basically degrade their character and make them a, a non, you know, person non grata so that not only will 
nobody wants to repeat what they said, but no one wants to associate with them. And the, it almost serves as like this living example and they don't become a martyr, right? They don't get to become like a cool little t-shirt design that says RNP remember forever. They're just that like sad dude that doesn't have any followers on social media, you know, therefore he's even more of a loser. It's got like this self um, so, sort of perpetuating um, curse that gets put on him, I think. Do you think Alex Jones is controlled opposition? I don't know, man. It's that one's hard. My my favorite way to consider Alex Jones, because I was a huge fan back in it. Like I I when I was in uh, the military in Texas, like listening to him on the radio because it was like the local radio show kind of thing. Um, but I will say that the only way that I can I can come to terms in my own mind without feeling like a either a rube or sort of like a, an enabler is that he is like the ultimate warrior WWF character of the conspiracy world. I mean, and I know that he tried to portray that almost as a way to like get out of some of the more inflammatory things he said, specifically about like the school shootings and stuff where he's like, you know, no one believes me. Everyone thinks that I'm this over the top guy. I do tend to believe that. I do think that he's definitely over the top. Um, and when it comes to controlled opposition, I'll definitely say that there's a lot of topics that he just doesn't talk about period. It just, which is weird to me because it seems like almost nothing is off limits for him, but, but you know, there I are mean, certain things that he won't talk about. He talked about the, I don't like him putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Talked about the frogs. You don't think that's fucking important, bro? The no, frogs. I think, I think that's true. A hundred percent. And, and honestly, a lot of conspiracy theories and even misinformation agents, the, the trick, which is the, you know, the oldest quote in the book is, but you always want to contain a nugget of truth. Mm -hmm. to sort of slip in all the other, you know, untruths and, and misinformation. So yeah. there's always yeah. some element of, of real, like here's one that, that I like to go to and I don't know, I really don't think this was an intentional act of misinformation, but it's, it's one that I, I it's like my pet peeve. And this was when Alex Jones broke into Bohemian Grove with the other, <laughs> uh, you know, documentary guy. Uh, and, and if you ever seen the, the interview where he talks about that whole process and leading up to it and the aftermath, it's, it's definitely worth uh, looking up. But Alex Jones mistakenly called this big owl statue um, Moloch, mm -hmm. I guess. And now it's, it's almost like embedded in conspiracy of lore that that owl is Moloch when it, it very much is not Moloch. If anything, it's probably... Minerva yeah. um, or the owl of Minerva because it related to the owl that was in their logo that talked about basically they can see at night um, and they can they're associated with like arcane knowledge usually like the Bohemian Grove logo would be an owl standing on like a book so there was this whole owl mythology that's interesting in its own right and talks about Greek mythology and everything but because Alex Jones in one video called it Moloch now, whenever someone sees an owl online, if you go into like a Reddit conspiracy forum or something, and someone posts a picture of an owl, they're like, "Oh, it's Moloch." So, like Drake, bro, his his logo is like a little <laughs> owl. So is he fucking? Yeah, but I mean, that's that's legit. That was an actual symbol for you know the Minerva and maybe even the cult of Illuminati and um, and even Bohemian Grove. I mean, it's it's actually the mascot. It just wasn't Moloch, this bull god that they would sacrifice children to. I think that was kind of conflated because of the cremation of care. So it's like, oh, there's this big statue of an animal and someone being sacrificed in front of it. Therefore, it has to be the god of Moloch. Yeah, because they're lighting them on fire. So it's like... Yeah, and the, and the only reason I'm even bringing this up and being so specific is that it's just an example of just the wild, um, you know, inaccurate statement and misinformation that, that can come from him and make really big impacts. I mean, again, 20, 30 years later people still are convinced that an owl is the same thing as Moloch. Yeah, uh, I've, I've so said I mean, that before on the podcast. Uh, but then I've that, heard... That's, I'll, I'll write you a nasty letter if I hear it. I'll, you know, <laughs> like, that's, you're totally wrong. It's, it's an fucking owl bullshit. and a bull and Minerva, and you, you're getting your pantheons mixed up. You know? <laughs> so, but yeah, so I'm just bringing that up as an example, or I don't know if that was a malicious intent or if he's just really quick to shoot from the hip and he suffers a lot from it. I think he is, bro. I mean, if, I think I've always said that what the person that he plays 
I think he's morphed into that character. You know what I mean? Like oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Like the cycle, like, you know, the movie Split where his personality is like morph his being and his body and he just turns into, it's Patricia or whatever the fuck he I said. mean, going back to, to what you were talking about, Law of Attraction, right? I mean, he's he's putting that persona and that energy out and it's just coming right back to him and those two things feed on each other until they almost become one. It makes me think of... I was listening to a I listened to a lot of Manly P. Hall and I want to get your thoughts on Manly P. Hall. And oh, huge they, fan. They taught he he I believe it was him or somebody else, where the werewolf was actually a state of mind and a state of consciousness. And it wasn't actually a werewolf, like you know how we see in the movies that it's portrayed where it turns into a you know, on the full moon it turns into a fucking werewolf that is just like some psychotic episode where the person believes that they're a werewolf and therefore they act like a dog and and do all this fucked up shit and become like a like a feral animal yeah exactly like this the duality within right where they where it flips a switch and they're just like 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 a altered states right the guy comes out of the tank and he he breaks into the zoo and he starts eating lions (laughs) yes yeah just like that exactly what are your thoughts on Manly P. Hall? I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I've listened to hours. Huge hours. fan of Manly P. Hall. I'm so glad he hasn't been canceled yet. <laughs> My man. <laughs> um, and I, I would say that I, I love just going to analogies and pop culture analogies. But, you know, without a doubt in my mind, he was the, the Neo in the Matrix of occult knowledge. Like where he would walk into sort of a cathedral and a normal person would see all these Catholic saints and maybe the pretty... Uh, colors coming from the stained glass windows, but this dude would go in there and be and just see, you know, uh, astrological signs and oh, the snake and the scorpion at her foot means that this is actually talking about this particular, you know, house within. Um, I, I'm not well versed on the astrology terms, but he would just like he understood inherently this concept of of occult um, nature where you've got the the sort of like the, the presenting aspect of everything, what you see when you look at it, and then the actual meaning of it that, you know, less than 1% of people would ever recognize. Another goes like the cult of Mithra, where the guy's stabbing the bull. And if you look closely, there's also like a little scorpion at his foot, and there's a dog that's like nipping at his yeah. chest. And all yeah. of those are representing different constellations. Um, so like, I don't know how this dude did it, but again he was just one of those people like tesla he just like inherently understood it from a young age and in, and in fact one of the the coolest facts about manly p hall is that he was a high-ranking freemason yes. but he didn't go through the ranks to become a freemason he just kind of like made friends with some freemasons they brought him to a lodge and everyone was fucking blown away with how much more he knew about their entire society and all of their secret teachings like he he knew it. He was explaining it to them, and he wasn't even a member. So they would just like made him an honorary thirty three degree member. They were like, "Bam, you're just instantly promoted because, dude, you're, you're like you know all this shit like somehow shit, already. Bro. We didn't have to tell you about it." So I, and and his his entire life was like that. I think. I think that. I think that Manly P. Hall was channeling stuff like channeling this information because if you listen to his work. Just how Alistair Cuckley and all these motherfuckers right through all of it. Like Moses, I believe <laughs> Moses, you know, channeled the Ten Commandments and talked to God, et cetera, et cetera. If he was having a mm. DMT experience or not, whatever. But I, the reason I say that is because if you listen to his lectures, not only does he not have any notes, not only does he just recite everything from from his fucking just the top of his head just how you're saying this extensive knowledge. I would I would love to talk about how he did that because that's a whole fascinating concept in its own right what do you uh, how do you think he I think he was channeling something because if, if you listen to his lectures, I don't think so I don't know I think he was challenging I I, I think that's that's almost taking away from what an incredible yeah, mind ex- that but th- that's what I'm getting at that it, it wasn't him instead because different lectures he's got like a different tone right like a different yeah you know? but, but again like th- we're talking about someone that that sort of self-taught themselves in the classical arts even even way after the the traditional classical arts were no longer taught to the mass public like this he just went into you know libraries and read up on the the quadrivium and um just like geometry yeah. and and astrology and and taught himself this stuff and recognized the patterns right away so i i don't think that there was anything he was specifically ch- um, channeling and he was just a great like one of the original arts was the art of rhetoric and he mastered rhetoric as well just like you're saying when you listen to him talk 
he has great breath control he's got this vibrato in his in his voice almost like a a preacher will talk to you that just like drills right into your head and and gets you kind of focused um and then the the uncanny ability to just recite these lectures for hours and hours on end almost that again was just another um huge skill that the classic world treasured and and a lot of people could do that back then because you think i mean they didn't have an easy way to jot down a bunch of notes you know they weren't gonna um etch it into a bunch of like stone tablets and kind of keep them (laughs) on the side and and you know (laughs) cue card cue card so i mean have you ever heard of the concept called a memory palace a memory palace no please enlighten oh it's one i top three of my favorite topics of all time so that really quickly a memory palace was a way that um you know, orators and like Manly P. Hall would memorize a two or a three hour lecture without having to stutter or look at notes. And a, a simplified way of doing it is to think of like the childhood house you grew up in or some some house that means a lot to you. And you can remember every detail from walking in the front door and going through the hallway and going through each of the rooms. And, and maybe if you think about the room you grew up in, in the kitchen, you know, you had a certain refrigerator and you had certain drawers where the forks and the knives were. And, and I think you probably remember all of those very intricate details. So if you imagine you're trying to deliver this three hour speech, uh, imagine that the intro to your speech, all you have to remember is three or four sentences and you just remember them in your mind that you're standing outside the front door to your house. And then the second paragraph, you sort of memorize it as if you're standing inside the front door and you're looking you know, into the house. And then the third paragraph or the third topic is a better way to, to describe this. Oh. Uh, maybe the very first drawer in your kitchen. Well, that's the first point you want to make. And then the second drawer is the second point you want to make. And you can just do this. And, and a lot of these guys would go and and just kind of um, memorize landscapes and memorize these really impressive cathedrals and, and sort of temples that they would go to. And each of those really striking places they would turn into what you would call a memory palace in their mind. And they would use those things to memorize, um, you know, long speeches or, or facts that would have been hard to otherwise um, kind of retain if you just try to use, you know, moat memorization and just repeating it over and over. So, so something about that was lost throughout time. But this was, you know, I mean, you can still do this now, but it's just kind of a lost art because everyone's got everything written down on their phone. Bruh. Or you just blew my fucking mind, bro. I did not know about that, but that is fucking. Yeah, there's a, a book called The Art of Memory by Francis Yates, I believe. That if if that even sounds somewhat interesting to you, I I can't recommend that book enough. It's one of the most amazing. I think it's Francis Yates, the the Art of Memory. Francis Bacon. And he he describes how I mean, and and this is an, an older book. I think it was in the 70s. Um, but he's writing about. The, almost the origins of where this concept of memory palace came from and and all the different iterations that it developed from over time going back to you know the, the most ancient records that we've got so that's like probably what these guys in like the library of alexandria were doing with where it was like this 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 youtube right of of its time where everybody all these scholars and intellectuals would gather gather together to do all these speeches and lectures and shit and people would just share knowledge right it's almost like something like that where i'm sure now that you mentioned i had no idea what that was but now that you mention it it does make a lot of sense and i can't even imagine the type of training that you would have to go through in order to it's honestly man it'll it'll freak you out how easy it is to do there's another book that's a lot more modern called the art of moonwalking i believe and it was about it was about this um, journalist that was covering like a memory competition where these guys will kind of go on this national or international competition. And one of the examples, they'll take like five decks of cards and just shuffle them all together. And they'll, and they'll show them each card in this huge stack of, you know, deck. And they have to recite back every single card in the exact order that they were shown, like almost immediately after seeing it. But th- this guy goes to figure out how they do it and write. And he himself ends up learning the techniques and becoming like one of the top, you know, memory experts in the world, just because again, it's, it's, it's not that hard of a trick to teach yourself. And it's amazing, um, like how much information you can retain and and how kind of cool the the techniques are. Do you think that in society, because this is the first time hearing about that, do you think that we've been, you know, uh, intentionally dumbed down with all this bullshit that we have, for example, like you said, the phones? And computers it's con- and it's convenient to try to blame some exterior source of like you're dumbing us down but 
I don't know. It, it also sidesteps a whole lot of personal responsibility. Like, like mainly P. Hall, from what I understand, he wasn't like groomed with a silver spoon in his mouth where people were just teaching him astrology from a young age. He had a knack for it. He just opened up a book and was like, wow, this is totally my jam. I'm going to learn everything I can about this. I'm going to dedicate every waking hour of my life to understanding all of this in, in absolute detail and trying to explain it to others so they understand it. That's just a, it's a different kind of person that does that versus a person that, you know, uh, wakes up and just checks their social media and, uh-huh. you know, kind of posts their, their lunch and stuff like that. Not, I mean, I, I do that too, right? I check my social media yeah. and post my lunch, but I'm definitely not a Manly Palmer Hall, not even close to it. Yeah, man. And just the, the stuff that he, he talks about. And it, I, I always said this, I said, how the fuck is it the secret teaching of all ages if you fucking wrote a book about it? Doesn't not doesn't that make it not secret anymore? Do you, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, like, well, like one of the one of the famous uh, quotes from the Freemasons is that they're not necessarily a secret society; they are a society that has secrets. And I think that's kind of with that whole secret teachings, because again, it's it's like uh, you can teach someone what the the Virgin Mary looks like and how to pray to a, a crucifix of Jesus and what all that symbology means. But for Manly Palmer Hall to come in and be like, well, actually, he's on the cross because it's representative of the equinox. And, you know, he is the literal sun in the sky. The material world and all this shit. Like we're both like two people are both seeing the same thing. And you can spend your entire life in theology understanding, you know, the theological idea of Christ. Or you can spend your whole life studying the cult arts and interpret all as, you know, astrology. Or it can be a fundamentalist and interpret it all as 100% literal, you know, all the way down to the talking snake and everything. So it's yeah. it's hard to say, like, who's right in that regard, except I'd say Manly Palmer Hall is the one that's right. Because <laughs> it's always, I've always said this, where at the end of the day, we're all just walking thoughts, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a walking thought, your thoughts, and we just collide with each other. And that's essentially what all these conflicts are about. I don't like the way that you think you don't like the way that I think. So we clash and it's like this weird, you know what I mean? Like it's like this weird, I don't want to say again, it's a duality thing where we're just, we're hardwired to have a me against that or just an a versus B. And you know, I don't, I don't know if we can ever truly escape it again because of these symmetrical bodies that we're in. I mean, you know, we've got a left and right hemisphere of the brain that, that each, you know, process information completely differently. It is just, it is literally baked into our biology. What's it called when the human brain interprets like a shape? Forgot the name of it. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like a... Are you like synesthesia? I think it's that where if you look at a like a blob, your brain tries to... Inter- like, you know, when you look at something in your room like at night and you see like a shape of a person or like a monster or some shit. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the name for it, but yeah, the, the brain has a propensity to always yeah. make faces yeah. out of things that you don't recognize there's also a really cool phenomenon called form constants and this is when people take psychedelics and they see <laughs> swirls and certain patterns and um kind of like different you know color wheels i mean this is also can be described as a concept called form constant where everyone essentially sees the same sort of shapes uh, just because again it's like a biological side effect yeah form constant is one of several geometric patterns mm-hmm. which are Reoccurringly observed during hypnagogia. I don't know what the fuck that is. Hallucinations and altered states of consciousness. Wow. Yeah, it's like when you do. Yeah, and this is just like the the gaps in your neurons trying to piece together the information that they're missing because you know you're basically you're blocking the the information coming from the outside, so you're forcing the inside of your mind to fill in every one of those gaps. And in uh, the way that it fills those gaps in is a very similar biological process as it would be for anyone. So that's why we kind of see similar patterns and have these uh, seemingly like synchronistic experiences. You ever done dimethyltryptamine? You ever done DMT, bro? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 I have. I absolutely have. Yeah. What was that like? Cause that's the one thing that I haven't done uh, as far as I mean, uh, I haven't very, done very short, very manageable. I, I believe in the seventies, they used to call it the businessman's high because the theory what? was that, yeah, you could, you could take your lunch break and go and trip out to another universe for 15 minutes and then be completely sober again, five minutes later. So it got this, this name is the businessman's high because there was almost no other drug that you could do on your lunch break and come back sober. 
What the fuck is the first time I you never that? heard that? No, no. So maybe I think so cocaine I would, or some shit like that was like the you know. Maybe, but even then, man, you're gonna have that <laughs> elevated heart rate, and you're gonna have the the sort of like the addiction immediately afterwards that's gonna be noticeable. Whereas, again, the, the theory was that you could go and trip out to another universe and come back completely stone cold sober, ready to work again. What was your uh, What was your experience on that? Like, did you see anything? Did you Did you so, blast off? You know how they say. Yeah, yeah. So it was definitely a breakthrough. And the one thing that that I would say is unique about it is that almost every other um, experience that you can go on, usually when you try to really focus on the hallucinations you're seeing or the patterns, they sort of just like it's a big cloud of smoke. The more you try to focus on it, it just kind of dissipates and you can't you can't like pin it down or if you know you're you're tripping on acid and you want to like draw what you're seeing. The second you try to draw it, it's like changing it's shape and it's it's very abstract and nebulous when you try to translate it into like the physical world of you know math and shapes but with dmt it's it's um it's like magical where you can zoom all the way in an infinite resolution like you've got this microscope that can just keep zooming in and in and in on that pattern that you were seeing and looking you know and, and deciding to like well i'm going to look over here to the left and actually like see the pattern repeat in like a logical way and you can kind of go towards it so in Whoa. in that way it's it's almost like like lucid dreaming yeah. um where you've got a lot more control over the experience and you're also a lot more cognizant of it like you realize oh that thing that i'm seeing is because of this thing that i just did three minutes ago uh, and because you've got that lucidity uh, i don't know it, it just it feels like you're a lot more in control of it so you so, think it's bullshit of, of people talking about how DMT is like the answer to break out of the matrix because you look up and you see the dome and all this stuff. So, I mean, this is one of my other favorite topics here. I'll, in short, yeah, I'll actually say, yeah, I do think that it is a way to break out of the matrix, but it's not through uh, ordering it from Germany with Bitcoin <laughs> on the dark web and it shows up and you pop in the Pink Floyd's the wall and, you know, think that you're going to have some kind of mystical experience. I think it's more that if you go back to like the cult of Demeter and the uh, the illusion the mysteries or the Eleusinian mysteries where they would have people, you know, basically fast themselves for days and they would come from all over the world. And essentially, in my opinion, it culminated in like a big laser light show where everyone took acid and saw, you know, the, the Greeks, the, the originators and the masters of theater. Imagine going and seeing the masters and creators of theater put on the best, you know, laser light show theater show for you while you're tripping on acid in this underground cavern with oh my god that's you know king so-and-so over there and oh my god that's <laughs> that you know that royal noble dude and they're here with us common people so imagine you're in that sort of an environment right now, yeah. yeah you're tripping your balls off and you know you're surrounded and you're seeing um colors and lights and maybe sounds that you've never heard before because again they've got like all these huge symbols and ways to replicate lightning and things so I mean, imagine being in that sort of a situation, having your mind blown, tripping out. Absolutely. You're going to come back from that. Like, man, there's this whole other dimension and world of experiences outside of what I even knew was possible. Well, you fast forward to modern day. Um, it might not be that groundbreaking for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was kind of cool, but I've got a, a you know, an Oculus uh, Rift or I've got a Quest and I can go into VR and I mean, I, it, there's apples and oranges here, but there might just be like this desensitization to where um, just the fact that you've kind of changed your perspective might not be enough for anyone, or it might just be seen as too recreational. Because again, like way back in history, um, it was almost like a, an ultimate sin, almost punishable if you were to talk about it in public, and especially if you kind of uh, related it to like a recreational activity. It was supposed to be a very sacred solemn thing that almost you only did once in your life to make it that much more sacred yeah it's it's funny you bring up the oculus because i just i i get the oculus quest tomorrow oculus the quest 2 and uh -huh. I'm, i this is the first time i ever have like a vr headset or whatever and my friends are telling me they're they're like dude this is the craziest shit ever this thing is like you're actually there and da 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 and and the reason I got is because I'm into crypto and I think that Facebook is going to come out and say, hey, we're going to start doing NFT bullshit on here. And, you know, you know, the hype behind that. As soon as they come out with that, I think everybody's going to start jumping on that bandwagon. So I got it because I think it's cool as fuck. But then I got it because hoping that Facebook will come out, you know, with the whole metaverse bullshit. Well, you don't need a VR helmet to get into NFTs. <laughs> no, I know that. I know that. But I'm just saying that that's the where it's going, right? Like this whole 
yeah. uh, video game world where, you know, play to earn and all this stuff. And I haven't done an episode yet on cryptocurrencies. I'm, I'm planning with a friend of mine who's really deep into crypto and to talk about it because that's I think that's where we're headed towards like this, this the literally the matrix where we, you know, people are selling uh, fucking uh, digital real estate right now, bro, for millions of dollars. And they're comparing it to buying land in New York, like in the 1800s or whatever, you know, yep. and, and it's like, why do we give so much power? Well, from a fiat currency point of view to these things that you can't even ever touch. You know what I mean? Like, it's like this weird uh, fucking humanistic thing where we just well, jump on. This I, I think one of the answers to that is that it, it presents you a way to own and live in a way that you can't in your real life, you know? So it's like, like ready player one or what's that one movie? Or like, yeah, like it's a great, yeah, great example. Ready player one. Like you're, you're living in a, in a big trailer park that's run down and you've, you know, it's like a 400 square foot trailer you're sharing with five other people. But the second you put that VR helmet on, you, you know, live in this big mansion all by yourself and you've got a Ferrari and everything. And, um, at a certain, I mean, right now you, you know, none of that's true because you can feel the sweat accumulating <laughs> under your eyes as you're wearing the headset and, you know, you'll stub your toe on something or you'll you're reach still- out and smack something with your hands. It, it brings you right out of the immersion. But that, I mean, that's, we're in the very, you know, wild west beginning stage of this. There'll probably be a certain point when, you know, you can stimulate all of your senses to actually make you think that you're in that place. And it's not hard. It's not hard to you know let your brain just let go and be like okay i'm in that place i mean people get hypnotized on stage just from you know idiots uh swinging clocks and and snapping their fingers in front of them so imagine you incorporate all the different senses olfactory glands you know your vision your hearing um the haptic feedback where you can actually feel things affecting you uh once all that's in play i mean you know hypnotists didn't never stood a chance compared to what we can do with these headsets i think and the on the topic of simulation, it's like what Elon Musk was saying that eventually, right, th- there's a possibility that we're in some computer simulation, whatever, like the Matrix. But the fact, what really gets me about that whole thing with Elon Musk, and I have mixed feelings about Elon Musk, like with, you know, ever since like the whole Bitcoin thing that he did, I, I don't, I think he's a fucking <laughs> asshole. How is that the thing that, that Bro, puts it just, him the edge? <laughs> it just like shat. He, ma- he manipulates like a new currency. Yeah, the reason it got me was because I thought he was, you know, for the people. That that was my whole thing. I thought, I said, this guy's different. That's on you. (laughs) He's not a reptile. You know, I I had fucking pre-ordered the Cybertruck. I was like, I was like balls deep in Elon Musk. I'm like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Elon Musk, let's go. And then he starts doing this shady shit with, you know, manipulating the markets and all this other bullshit. And that just like kind of turned me off to him. And I go, this guy is just like all of them they're just playing this game that they created I don't, so so i'm not i'm not going to stand up for elon musk here but i'll say that i, I do <laughs> think that he's different and that he is just the ultimate rich kid that that wants to play with his toys and, Crowley. you know he, he i don't i don't know if anyone has enough money to exert influence over elon musk to where he, they'll force him to do something he doesn't want to do maybe maybe he's got reptilian overlords Dude. and they've got him in a in a trance but i'm but i mean like like the example of the whole boring company and where he wanted to make these underground you know pathways and and quick ways to get around different places in downtown la and they ask him like why of all the places in the country you know would you do it in la here by um sort of the coast and you've got a battle with the the sea level and everything and the the eventual explanation was like well i live here and you know it would be convenient for me so it's kind (laughs) of like in my mind, that that kind of uh, explains him as a in a person in a big way. Where I've got all this money, and you know, I just want to make life really cool and fun and convenient for me. So why why shouldn't I? You know, uh, and there might be some like altruistic side effects of that. Where hey, now we've got electric cars, and if we ignore the rare minerals and pollution that the batteries create, possibly we solved you know the oil crisis forever and things like that. But again, like. It might have also just been, hey, I want to have a really cool electric car. Okay, yeah. I've got that. Now I want to go make a flamethrower. Okay, I've got that. I'm bored. Now I'm going to go to this other thing that I find interesting. So I'd, I I, kind of see him as that. Again, like, you know, I'm, I'm a little peon looking way up into the sky at Elon Musk uh, throwing judgment here. But that's, I interpret him more as that, not necessarily this like JD Rockefeller, 
let's corner the fucking markets and stamp our competition and make sure their grandchildren are, you know, penniless and crazy kind of thing. Yeah, let's liquidate the, the shorts and all this shit. You know what I mean? Like, and I think he just, <laughs> I've always said that, that he's an alien that just wants to get back to Mars. I think that he either, because <laughs> why like is it that, that yeah. why is it that all these fucking rich people, uh, you know, the lizards, right? Like, Bro, look at Mark Zuckerberg. That guy is not fucking normal. You can't argue with me and tell me that guy is a fucking human being. He's an android or some sort of reptilian. Because you see, they're super <laughs> fucking weird. Is it because they're too smart for their own good? But who the fuck knows? But if you look at them, they're just socially awkward. You know what I mean? Like, if you... The way he talks and the way his mannerisms and just his, his way of being, I just... So, like, in, in jest, I'll go back and forth and talk about people being lizards and androids and shit. <laughs> but really, I, I don't really believe that in, in actuality. Again, I think it's given people too much of a pass to be like, oh, he's weird just because, you know, he's, he's a, reptilian a reptilian or something. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would think that at this point, reptilians and aliens would know how to, you know, become social butterflies and manipulate us in the best ways possible they wouldn't stand out like sore fucking thumbs like um, you know like like yeah <laughs> so i don't know i i honestly think that he's he just has existed in this bubble of just immense wealth and power as i mean i don't remember how old he was when he basically had more Young power than you know the president so it's like 20 something I, years old when he fucking made like what first... would that do to you as a person it, it seems like you would just stop developing period at that point because now <laughs> every person around you is just going to always be a yes man i mean who's going to be the dude that's like yeah mark that was a shitty idea you know what i mean yeah like no one wants to lose that job that high up in the company for something so stupid as pointing out you know how socially awkward your boss is or hey man maybe you shouldn't be the one shooting this flagship commercial for headsets looking like an absolute alien maybe Fucking we could idiot. Yeah. hire like a, an actor or something you know like Someone that would make it more appealing, not like, oh man, if I put that on, I'm gonna turn into a robot. <laughs> yeah, like the the new meme that I saw was uh, with the stupid haircut that Elon Musk has, and it was like, <laughs> this is the haircut of not being told no or some shit like that. Like ever in your life, like, <laughs> that's, that's not that's a, a good really idea. Good <laughs> like, bro, you look like a fucking idiot with that haircut. You know what I mean? Or like, bro, again, an, with enough money and resources, man. Like, <laughs> you're the wrong one. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, and you're absolutely right. And and what the 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 whole thing with Elon, when they did the the B word uh, convention with that other fucking weirdo, what's his name from Twitter? Uh, uh, he just stepped down. Uh, it's slipping my mind. You know the CEO of Twitter. Uh, fuck. Uh, you know I'm Jack talking. Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey. When they did that whole convention, the thing that really like stood out to me was when when Elon was talking about how you know Bitcoin going up and down, right? Volatility and all that stuff. He's like, I don't want it to go down either. And like, you kind of saw like the sadness in his face. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure somebody either called in a favor and was like, hey, bro, start tweeting some cryptic shit, you know, make people believe that Tesla sold their Bitcoin holding so that the fucking market can take a shit and we can buy up some cheap Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's also a possibility because even uh, was oh, it? Yeah, it would be too easy for it to not be. But it, and I would also imagine when you're at that kind of level, it might not even cross your mind that, you know, I'm. It probably does cross your mind, but just the power of you just saying that and the the market immediately reacting afterwards. Yeah. But but that actually is a good point because there's no such thing as insider trading when it comes to crypto. I mean, there's no there's no regulation that That's makes wild, it illegal to be an inside trader. So. I mean, okay, maybe he did do that. And I mean, that's that's sort of one of the inherent flaws and advantages of the whole decentralized system. So, I mean, who do you want to go and prosecute him? Who Who's supposed to be the authority that goes and penalizes him for insider trading That's what we're crypto? trying to get rid of with cryptocurrencies. And then we fucking complain about when this fucking cuck tweets something out and it crashes the markets. You know what I mean? So it's like this this paradox of that's it that's that's the unbridled sort of mark if if i mean if you believe that it's fully unregulated and there's not some kind of like overlord botnets in china and the u.s that are you know forcing it or that there's a small handful of whales that actually get to you know determine the overall flow of money and kind of but again you know there's no insider trading laws there's no regulation so it's it's you know you can't fault them for 
working that way since that's how the sort of system was made. And it's either there's either going to be some kind of solution that comes from that or it's all going to collapse on itself and Bitcoin 2 comes out or yeah. everyone switches to Ethereum or Litecoin or something else. Who knows? Yeah. And the reason I say that it's super shady that he was doing that was because ever since then, bro, he hasn't really tweeted anything about Doge or any cryptocurrency. He's just been kind of, you know what I mean? Like he's been kind of like a D on the I mean, DL. He stuck his hand on the burner. Maybe he'll realize not to stick it back on there again. Who knows? Possibly. But yeah, <laughs> fuck Elon Musk. Anyways, <laughs> dude, I think this conversation was fucking awesome. Uh, like I always say, did a conversation really happen if it wasn't on a podcast? I don't fucking think so. How they say if, if, if a tree <laughs> falls in the wood, did it really fall in the wood? You know what I mean? Did it really fucking fall? But I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I'll, I'd like to have you on again. And one more time for the listeners, where the, can they find your work? And I'll put your link in the description. Yeah, paranoidamerican.com. Um, that's where you can find you know a bunch of samples. You go on Amazon right now and just search Paranoid American. You'll find maybe eight, eight to ten of our books. And the only social media that I even slightly engage with is Instagram. And on there, it's also Paranoid American. Awesome, dude. And I want to thank you again for coming on, dude. I had a great time. And I think we touched on a lot of my favorite subjects. And we talked a lot about a lot of fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, this was cool, man. We got to touch on a bunch of, of topics that I wasn't expecting to. So, yeah, dude, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.